Amen. Praise the Lord. So a couple of things I might, might mention uh, on the announcements. You know, we're having baby dedication on September 11th. And I know you might say, well, why are you doing it on September 11th? Well, because that is actually Grandparents' Day. Now, I know that one day this last week was National Dogs' Day. And it, and it does seem to me that when you have a day for everything, like Cheeseburger Day, yes. maybe it demeans Grandparents' Day. But we think so much of grandparents as well as parents that we choose that day to have baby dedication, and that happens fall on 9-11 uh, this year. And uh, so no, nothing else implied beyond that. So September 11th, that'll be Sunday after Labor Day uh, weekend is, is where we're going to do that. Why don't you go ahead and stand one more time. Bump elbows with your neighbor because I want to bring you in with me on this prayer particularly. Uh, because many times uh, when, you're, when you're in ministry, or you may even notice this just, just looking around this church, when, when, it, when it's the week before a special day, you know this probably happens to you. Week before Easter, everything blows up. Everything's a mess. And it makes Easter difficult. Or, the, or if we have a special event like our Go Conference we're going to have in October, well, you know, you can plan on it that the week before the devil is going to be out in force and, and he's going to be firing in all directions. Um, but as we have come here to Daniel chapter 3, and God just led us to this spot at this time, in this moment, in this chapter, for this message perfectly fits in with the, the Sunday after every, all the kids start going back to school. And let me tell you, I mean, from distraction to, to obstruction to everything, the devil has uh, been being the devil. And you may have noticed that in your life. So I, I don't want you just to come and attend today. I want you to attempt with us. And uh, so I want to draw you in with us in this prayer as we get ready to get into the Word of God together. Father, we come before you today. And Lord, I thank you that uh, the devil is a roaring lion because at least he's roaring. So I know that he's coming. We're not taken by surprise. Paul says that we, we, uh, we are not ignorant of his devices. Mm-hmm. We're also not ignorant of the armor that we have. So, Lord, I know I can't defeat the devil, but he can't defeat my sword. And uh, the devil can overrun me, and um, he can defeat me, but he cannot overrun my shield. And I've got gospel boots on, so I can put my feet on his neck, and he'll be held down. And I pray that for this moment, for this time today, and this service, Lord, that... He would be held back, your spirit would have free course, and that you would speak to us through your word, for we are asking it in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Daniel chapter 3. I don't know if you've ever been a fan in opposing team stadium. Maybe, maybe in high school you went to an away game. Maybe as an adult you were um, you know, in another town and you attended the game there. And I don't know whether or not you felt any pressure to stop doing the tomahawk chop. You know, if you're in, a way, in an away game at an away stadium, but you're a fan of our team, but you're there, do you feel pressure to not do the tomahawk chop? See, Daniel chapter 3 is a true story we are all familiar with, and this is a thesis for today's study. 
because Christians are warriors in occupied territory. So here we've got the perfect passage for the perfect message on the perfect Sunday when all the kids are going back to school and Daniel 3 is made for them and for us. And it's made for us because it it tells us about three young people who are under pressure, as we all are, to fall away, to turn back, and to change teams. I mean, their very lives were at stake if they did not cease and desist and forsake loyalty to biblical authority. That is still what the devil's after in every Christian life this morning. To rule is not enough for that boss. He wants to be worshipped. And, and all too often, and usually through a lot less threat and manipulation, we get suckered in to betraying our Savior and the Scriptures. So in the last chapter, we saw Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He had his dream image with a golden dome. And it was a golden dome, but then it had uh, silver arms, and it had uh, brass uh, ballet, and it had uh, iron legs and, and iron and clay feet. So now in chapter 3, that same king turns right around and defies what God shows him in chapter 2. Because now he's going to set up an image, and it isn't going to deteriorate from gold to silver to brass and on down. It's going to be all gold. How can he do this? Well, because chapter 3 is just after the moment that he has destroyed Jerusalem. So this takes place about 580 BC. Nebuchadnezzar thinks, just like all lost humanity thinks, especially when we are successful on the limited scale of our life or in the limited scale of our own lifetime, I mean, it makes it look like we can defy God and get away with it. We can define our own future. And Nebuchadnezzar says, after all, I just destroyed that God's temple. So maybe I can draw up my own own blueprints for how the world should run. Verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits, that's 60, and the breadth thereof six cubits, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And uh, only two dimensions are given, so this idol is either a cylinder like our Liberty Memorial, or it is an obelisk, a pillar like the Egyptian obelisk that we call the Washington Memorial. And just like in the Tower of Babel, It points to the place that humanity wants to ascend. What we're about to see is an Old Testament type, a picture, a foreshadowing of the Antichrist and his image that he sets up in Revelation 13. And oh, by the way, the gold standard will apparently be back in fashion after the economic reset. Verse 2, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together all of his peeps, Revelation 13.8 says, all who dwell on the earth will worship the beast. Now, not all without exception, but, but all families of the earth. The Antichrist is called the beast. He gets his power from the dragon, Revelation 13. And the dragon is Satan himself, Revelation 12. Okay, don't believe me. Just watch. Jeremiah 51 verse 34. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, hath devoured me. 
He hath crushed me. He hath made me an empty vessel. He hath swallowed me up. How? Like a dragon. So among all the rulers of all the provinces were the renamed Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And Daniel was sitting in the gate next to the king himself. Therefore, he did not have to bow. Now, what were they there for? Well, this is what they were told, verse 3. They were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Because bosses always set up special tests, you know, for the people underneath them. And uh, more importantly than that, Nebuchadnezzar has a religious reason in mind. So this is our first point for study. Everything the devil initiates in your life, if he initiates it, it has a religious reason behind it. Not a godly, not a spiritual reason, but a religious one. And what our governors, mayors, and school boards set up for our children is actually motivated by the spirit of the age set up by the God of this world. So, strike up the band, verse 4. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound, and this is a funky, unky jazz band right here. But he goes on and says, When you hear that, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. Oh, so it's not just a dedication after all. Okay, well, you know, God is into music. Because the psalms are to be played as well as sung, and we gave you on your handout a number of references that show that. So what that means is Satan is counterfeiting God when he brings praise music and a praise team into the equation. And the problem is never, how does the music sound? Because how it plays is not as important as what it praises, and so it is not the sound, but what it is saying that is significant. So here's a funky, multicultural, jazzy state symphony, and it's, you know, have guys up there like Junior Brown when he played in Kansas City. He had a guitar with two necks on it. He had 18 strings, so he's got one neck has six strings, one has 12 strings, and I mean, uh, you know, the first rock festival in the Bible is when Achan got stoned, Acts uh, Joshua chapter 7. That's the first rock festival. This is the first Woodstock. So where is the king going with this? Verse 6, and whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Burn, baby, burn. Bow or burn. Nebuchadnezzar is proud of his empire's diversity, but he insists on multicultural conformity. He's going to set up a religion that is going to bring the diverse populations under his control. So there's intolerance on religious freedom. Verse 7, all the people, the nations and the languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Again, not all without exception, because Daniel's three friends did not fall, but all without distinction as to national or ethnic origin. And the whole issue of life is this. Who are you going to worship? This, this year, this school year, 
Okay, how many of you are you going back to class? How many of you in a class right now, either college, trade school, high school, whatever? All right, the issue this year is who are you going to worship? Who are you bowing down to right now? Self, science, social media? Someone has you falling for them. Is it the Lord Jesus? Verse 8 Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. And that, you know, that word there, that, uh, you know, we're uh, uh, in, in, uh, actually in Aramaic now, not in Hebrew. And the Aramaic word literally means to choose someone up. And this is exactly what will happen during the tribulation, by the way. But do you ever have the feeling people are just biting at you all the time? And, you know, just every, it's like every day you go to work, every week they take another piece of your heart or some, some other part of you and you are slowly being eaten away and devoured. And that is why Paul says to the Philippians, Philippians 3 verse 2, beware of dogs, beware of the evil of evil workers, beware, and he uses the word of the concision because Paul is sarcastically mocking the type of people who have it in for you with their mouths. And at that time, it was a group that he calls the circumcision, meaning Jews who were saying you had to be circumcised to get saved. Now, I don't know where that left the ladies. I I don't know. That's their problem, not mine. But uh, because of that, the correct translation is what the one they give, the King James gang gives for Paul here, the concision, because he's saying, look, they're not really the circumcision. I mean, Colossians 2, you've been spiritually circumcised if you're saved. They are the concision. They're just the amputators. And bottom line, they want to erode your loyalty to Jesus, verse 9. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound, now skip on down, shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. So what is commanded in verse 10 is for them to compromise in order to conform. Now, here's what you need to know today. Babylon is a lot more than a city. Babylon's more than an empire. Babylon, the mystery of Babylon is that it represents a system. And the original name, Bab-El, means gate of God. Small g God, God of this world. So Babylon is God's name for this present world system run by Satan, the God of this world, to his advantage, which pretends to be the only way to happiness, if not even to heaven. So here are the characteristics of our present world system. And these characteristics are prominent about the system in which we live today. First, it stands in rebellion against God. Second, it is Satan's counterfeit to God's real kingdom. Third, letter C, it has lost humanity's substitute for God's sovereignty. And letter D, it seeks your conformity and love even against the word of God. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, 
But it all centers on gold. I mean, it's the, it is the economy, stupid. Um, uh, money is the root of all evil. And so what were these three heroes, of what were they accused? Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom thou set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They have not served thy gods, nor worshipped the golden image which thou hast set up. You know, the test put to Christians in the Roman Empire, especially in the legions, was to burn a pinch of incense on the altar in front of the bust, the head, the statue, the image of Caesar. And by that, you were acknowledging Caesar is Lord. And Christians wouldn't do it. So that meant every believer was unpatriotic. They were not willing to become a Christian nationalist. And so they were a threat. And, and today, the same accusation is made against us. Listen, if you don't worship our God, you threaten us. You are a hate monger. You are a sin-aphobic. I'm not, you know, I'm not homophobic or any other phobic, but, I, but maybe I am sinophobic. But they say, look, if you don't worship what I worship, then that means you know that my professed morality is really just a charade. So why do I want you on my payroll if you will not curtsy to my authority and genuflect to the things that represent our vision of the future? And you know, it's, for a Christian, it's not difficult to discern what's the right way and what's the wrong way. What are those things that have become the vision of the future for our society that we cannot bow to? It's really easy. You go to the New Testament, in several of his epistles, Paul gives us certain vice lists. I mean, there's a bright line. There are clear things right there. So all of you who are kids, listen to me. Your Bible, if you follow it, makes you a troublemaker. But that's good trouble. So verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Where was Daniel? Well, Daniel is illustrating the rapture of the church. Because this whole story in terms of prophetic application is a bigger picture of the Jews suffering during the tribulation under the Antichrist, but the tribulation does not begin until the church is caught up, 1 Thessalonians 4.17. And once we're taken off this planet by Jesus, then Satan is able to carry out all his all he does all his dirty work like he wants it, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 and 9. So Revelation 13 says Daniel 3 is going to be repeated because the Antichrist is going to set up his own image and force the world to worship. And setting up an uh, image in the temple for other people to worship is what Jesus calls the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24. So today the stage is set for the rapture of the church so that God and the Antichrist can both Focus on the Jews. Verse 15, now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of all my funky music, get down. Ye get down and fall down. 
and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Now this is the second face the music moment in the Bible because Pharaoh asked that same question in Exodus chapter 5 verse 1. And the ultimatum that he's giving here is what the Jews are going to face in the tribulation, Revelation 13. So the theme of this chapter, I label it as summon the heroes. And it is so important to your life. Because when God starts summoning heroes for his cause, where do they come from? You say, well, Alan, you know, we're going to have our first missions conference ever. How old is this church anyway? Almost 30 years old. And this first time in almost 30 years, we will do our own missions conference. We're going to call it the Go Conference in October. And, and we will, they will be coming in from El Salvador and India and Romania and Belize and Serbia and Suriname and Mongolia and Dominica and Argentina. I mean, all those places that we have missionaries that we support. No. No, that's where they come from when we summon them. They come from the ends of the earth. But where do the heroes come from when God summons them? They come from you. They come from the seat in which you are sitting right now. So we're calling it a Go conference because every year God still summons people into the harvest. And the harvest is both here as well as abroad. And so today we come to a crossroads. Dan, you come to this same crossroads in your life. Places where all the wisdom and tact in the world does not work when you're relating to an evil person. Person with an evil heart. So these three Hebrew heroes make three important points when they are faced with the ultimate pressure to switch teams. These are the three truths when you resist conformity to the world. Number one, you don't need to be anxious. You don't need to be anxious. Um, And I know that... We've got some kids in here today, and even as I'm preaching, in your mind you are saying, I will never give up my life in this world. I will never give up siding with what they are thinking. I'm just not going to do it. Okay, watch. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. You know, and this comes up, You know, this type of opportunity for me comes up almost every Sunday, particularly if I'm going through an entire chapter. I get the opportunity to show you why we have the view of biblical authority that we have got. Because you may notice here in this verse how the King James Bible contradicts every other modern version, including the new King James Here is one of the great 316s of the Bible, and all of the rest of them say something like, we don't need, we have no need, we are not in need to answer you in this matter, and then those same translations go on to record these guys answering the king in this matter. And that's not what it says. So the King James Version is correct. These kids are not full of care. 
They're answering courageously. And that's our second point for study. Consecration is worth it no matter what the present consequence. So right choices deserve no anxiety. Do right till the stars fall and trust God to sort out the consequences. When right is right, you don't need to worry about it. Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto your God. So, so no, in the moment of crisis, heroes say, you know, there are some choices for which there is no compromise. But let me warn you, and this is our third point for study, you will not be a hero in the crisis if you have not trained yourself for right responses every other time. And this is the greatest piece of advice that I can give to any one of you students who are going back to school, whether it is elementary, middle school, high school, or college, the greatest piece of advice I can give you is this. There are some issues which are not to be debated or adjusted. There are some things that are either right or wrong, and you must choose the hard but right way in order to honor your God. You, you have to choose. You know, the fact that your old man and your old lady come here every Sunday and they choose. Oh, that's no good for you. You're going to have to choose. So you can do that without anxiety. Don't be scared because you know from the word of God, the second truth about resisting conformity to the world. Number two, real heroes are motivated by what they can give up for God that proves their worship and not by what they can get. What they can give up, verse 17, if it be our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Now, how did they know that? Well, they knew that from Hebrew history because they knew their Bible. Then they knew that secondly because they remembered what it was like to be tempted to defile themselves with the king's meat in college and God came through. And then third, they remembered the night that they were all going to be killed. Except they prayed, and God showed the king's dream to Daniel. Do not be so quick to forget what God has done for you or what he's done for us. If you want to be a hero, then you need to reason from that past deliverance into your present problem. And do not let the existence of your present problem color your view of God's capabilities or plans for you this year. The Lord gave the Apostle Peter a jailbreak, a get-out-of-jail-free angel in Acts chapter 12, but he did not deliver the Apostle James. And Herod was allowed to kill the Apostle James with a sword. So we've got a verse here that has to start off with a conditional clause and yet these kids answer confidently. But they most, the most important ingredient to answering God's summons for heroes is that these ki kids answer consecratedly. Look at verse 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. God can always intervene, but he's never obligated. Do I believe God can heal? Yes. 
I, I believe in divine healing. I just don't believe in divine healers. Hello, somebody. So, number three, even if God does not deliver, you can walk the hard but right way. Heroes do not change their convictions based on their circumstances. Heroes don't change their conviction based on the consequences. If God delivered him, great to live as Christ. If God didn't deliver him, great to die as gain. And in either case, God's will is done only when you stick to the hard but right way. Now that is the attitude of the true hero. That is the attitude I want every one of our children to have. That is the attitude I want from our parents. Boomer, Gen X, or Millennial. Verse 19, then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. Form of his visage was changed against these three boys. So he spake and commanded that they should. He said, what we have here is a failure to communicate. And he commanded that they should eat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. That word want in English is an adjective that means heat it just this once seven times more than what it's rated for. I want you to incinerate the incinerator. I mean, I want you to burn the furnace down. Now, have you ever noticed that when somebody's uh, in authority, when their authority gets frustrated, they do strange things in kind of funny ways. And so Nebuchadnezzar wants to make them suffer. Well, why didn't he put them on a slow crab boil? That would have been suffering. Verse 20, and he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. So he's got his ranger, seal, and delta force. And the second funny thing is he ties them up. Like, okay, you're going to throw them in a crematorium, and, but you don't want them walking around. Jesus walked on water. These Hebrew heroes walk in fire. In Bible type, Nebuchadnezzar is, it wants to be God, so he's damning them to hell. So really he's playing the devil who's, who has the keys to death and hell. But, verse 24, then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. Whoa, do not let... The modern translations emasculate that because the King James word means to be turned to stone as stonified, not just amazed, but so amazed you can't breathe like a nightmare when you try and scream and you can't like when you get the wind knocked out of you and it, and it takes some time to recover. So Nebuchadnezzar is petrified, spitless. But in a moment, verse 24, he rises up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, did not we cast three men? What was it that astonified him? They said unto the king, true, O king, we, we threw three in. He answered and said, lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth, check this, is like the sun of God. Now, 400 years before Nebuchadnezzar was born, Solomon revealed the fact that God had a son in Proverbs 30, verse 4. God has a special son who appears from time to time to the Hebrews in the form of an angel who looks just like a man. And, and yet, your modern translation 
wants to make you think, Nebuchadnezzar said, oh, that's just like a son of the gods. No, baby Baba. I mean, Daniel and them are not about worshiping the gods. Like this should be a son of the gods in appearance. I mean, this whole event is about not worshiping other gods. So do not let the modern translations steal from you the fact that Jesus himself visits these four, three men in the furnace, just like he descended to the lower parts of the earth after he was crucified and ascended with the captives and led captivity captive, Ephesians 4, verses 8 and 9. So it was not a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar knew from Daniel this was the son of God, and you know that from his reaction. Why can translators not just read their Bible? Because they have an agenda. Verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. Now, don't we wish that they had replied and said, Molan Labe, come and get us. You come get, how about, you come get us. But now wait, the fourth man stayed in the fire because Jesus is there to take your hell in your place. How can you say it's a Bible if it takes that away from you? Verse 27, and the princes, governors, and captains, and king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was in hair their head singed, neither was their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. And what started out as a monument to his supremacy now becomes a reminder of his subordinate power because the most high God decides to give the earth to the meek, not to Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath seen his angels. See, I told you he knew it was the Son of God. And notice, he, he knows that they got saved based on faith because he delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. You know, Nebuchadnezzar now commends these Jews for getting saved by faith and then for following Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and yielding their bodies. So can I give you your key verse for the 2022-23 school year? This is your vision verse for this year. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies. That's the battleground right now. Gender dysphoria. Transgender. That is the battleground. You present your bodies a living sacrifice. Because we all know that transgender, changing your gender is not at all about who you are. It is about who you want to fornicate with. Hello, somebody. So that's the battleground. Okay, instead of you giving into that mess, which condemns you to a life of mental health issues, how, how, dis, how much more dysphoric can you get than to deny your biological gender? Um, and, I mean, we have lost our mind. Our courts have lost their mind, and, you know, our legislators have lost their mind, and, 
And, uh, you know, it's uh, okay, but hey, but that's all right. That is the spirit of the age as set up by the God of this world because he has a religious agenda. And it ain't no thing but a chicken wing because we live in this Babylon. Praise God. Do you know what? You have a chance. Okay, all of you who are in school right now, look at me. You have a chance I never had. Because when I was your age in school, I didn't have a Babylon like this. I mean, my society was a lot more biblical than the one you are in at this moment, where the battleground is for your body related to these issues, and you now have a chance I never had to so give your body a living sacrifice to God in the midst of of mocking and ridicule and saying you're a hate monger and, you know, and all of that. No, give your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Why? That's your reasonable service. That is your reasonable service. Ain't nobody can do it for you. Well, how can I do it? Well, by being not conformed to this world. It has its own system. Recognize that. Don't be conformed to it. How do I not be conformed to it? By, by being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do that. Don't be conformed. Be transformed by getting the mind of Christ in the word of Christ and stick to it, even if deliverance from mocking, ridicule, and shame does not come. Even if you face that fiery trial described in 1 Peter 4.13. Verse 29, Therefore I make a decree, Nebuchadnezzar says, that every people, nation, language would speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, that's the way the millennium is going to start. We ain't in the millennium yet. But this is the same, that type of deliverance is the same thing that impresses Darius in Daniel 6.27. So the king who orders the world to bow before his image now has to bow before the king of the world. Verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon because enduring the hard but right way for the sake of God's truth proves that God is summoning you for an eternal purpose. And you will get promoted, even if not in this life. You will get promoted out of here. All you got to do is stand. I mean, there's some Sundays. I hope this message makes you squirm today. Psalm 50, verse 15, and call upon me, God says, in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. So once you are delivered, live this life to God's glory in our Babylon, because your life is all about choices. And some choices that ought to be easy are really opposed because they involve obedience to the words of God in your English Bible and the devil. The God of this world has a separate religious agenda. But obedience is not negotiable. We got to be willing to go through this time together. All the dysphoria, all the culture shift, just like those three Hebrew heroes did. Because suffering is what burns away the cords that bind us and keep us from serving God completely. 
What sacrifices are you making to show, to show your classmates and your coworkers, to show your network of neighbors, family, and friends that you worship God and you bow to his truth without reservation? I mean, they really are crazy. And it's such a shame because they, the people they convince of their thinking, they really are condemning to mental health issues the rest of their life. What, what price are you willing to pay to avoid compromise in order to help them, to avoid compromise to show them the way out, to avoid compromise of biblical authority and falling away or turning back? Because this is our final point for study, and then we raise up out of here. Number four, the only way to ensure that you will not fall and will not bow to this world's image of what it means to be a person, what it means to be a human, or what, it, what Satan wants for your future is for you to bow to Jesus Christ instead. That's your only safety net in the fiery trial. So use the tool of sacrifice to show everybody else you bow to Jesus. About five years ago, they made an epic war film called Dunkirk. And the Germans had advanced uh, through France in May of 1940 and about, man, almost 400,000 men of the British Expeditionary Force were trapped at the port city of Dunkirk I mean, it looked like lights out for England because after the destruction of their armies, they would not be able to defend themselves against a full-scale cross-channel invasion. We weren't in the war yet. It was all them. And if the Germans got there, then the royals and Churchill would have been summarily executed and the British would have been made slaves to that thousand-year Reich. Well, the commander of the British forces was General Allen Brooke. He said, nothing but a miracle can save us now. But just as Operation Dynamo was about to start and to try to rescue those soldiers and get them back to British shores, King George VI declared a national day of prayer and in a national broadcast, their stuttering king implored his people to turn back to God in a spirit of repentance At that moment, as the British soldiers on the beach were sure that they were going to be destroyed or captured by the Nazi juggernaut, a lone British naval officer cabled three simple words to Churchill in the war cabinet in London. But if not, and everybody understood where those words came from and what they meant, he was saying, we're here. And you know what? If, but if you cannot deliver us, we will die resisting Hitler with everything we have. But if not us, maybe you'll deliver our wives. But if not me, maybe you'll deliver my children and my parents. In just three words, heroes were being summoned by God confidently unconforming, do you own those three words? You know, Dunkirk was a great film. USA Today whined in their review that there were not major female characters or people of color, as if that would have been historically accurate. 
And yet nobody, not one person, lamented the fact that they left God out of the movie because they left out the miracle of those three words. Oh, boo. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God is my witness the best that I can. I've tried to summon the heroes today and and summon them out from Babylon. But more importantly, God is summoning the heroes right now. Following God does not guarantee you immunity from trouble, but it does qualify you to prove your worship through your sacrifice, to become a hero of the faith as real as anybody we see in the Bible. So it is the will of God that you have choices to make. This year, you didn't have to make pre-pandemic. It is the will of God that you face this fire because Jesus wants you to have as much of an opportunity to become a hero for him as these three Hebrew children did. What is one thing that you would like to do for God, but you're afraid and that fear prevents you? Let's do it this year together. Father, my faith is so weak sometimes, I confess. Lord, I pray you'd help me become, help us all become full of faith by resting in the assurance of your presence in my fiery trial, in our fiery trial, this week, this month, this, this year, this school year. Lord, I praise you that you walk with us up and down in the midst of the fire. And that every Bible prophecy teaches me a reason for hope. And if you're here today and you've never yet trusted Jesus for everlasting life, will you do that right now? Will you just pray? Just pray with me and say, God, I believe Jesus for eternal life. I want life after death. I want to be in eternity with you. And these men in this story, it's not just for children anymore. I live in the furnace. I live in this Babylon. I want you to make me born again right now. I want the Son of God walking up and down in the fire with me. Because I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.